Well, good morning. Let's continue in worship this morning as we uh, turn in our, uh, turn in our uh, scripture and our Bibles to Matthew chapter 6. We're going to continue looking at the Lord's Prayer. We're also going to be in Matthew chapter 13 some this morning as well. Uh, if this is your first time here or we've not had a chance to meet yet, thank you for joining us. Thank you for coming out this morning. Uh, as you heard Steve say, we want to be a place that helps you uh, follow Jesus, even as we're continuing to learn the same ourselves. Now, these two months, our first two months here together, since I'm new, we are looking at, as I said, we're looking at the Lord's Prayer. And we're saying that it is a greeting, and then it's five requests. You could say five or six, but for the sake of our study, we're going to say five. So there's these six jumping off places, the greeting and the five requests that help guide our prayers. When Jesus says, pray like this, you can recite it, or these can become the jumping off places from which you pray. And even though the Lord's Prayer is only 50 or 60 words long, I think, I hope, I pray that by now you're getting more of a sense of how it's so much more than that and how it teaches us to pray. I want to remind you of a quote I shared with you early on from a man named Samuel Zwimmer. He said this, the Lord's Prayer contains every possible desire of the praying heart. It contains a whole world of spiritual requirements and combines in simple language every divine promise, every human sorrow and want, and every Christian aspiration for the good of others. Right there in these 50 or 60 words. When Jesus says, pray like this, he gives us the most simple thing that a child can pray, and he also gives us an inexhaustible way to continue to learn to come before our Father. Now, this is our second week and our last week on the second request, your kingdom come. And to begin to help us get a sense of how to pray that this morning, I want to ask you to think back with me to when you were a child and you were getting ready for Christmas. Thanksgiving, you close the book on it and it's time to make your list. And if you're younger than me, you go to the internet and you scroll around, you look on YouTube for the next toy you want. If you're my age or older, you remember the catalogs. You would fold the pages down for the things you would want and circle them for your parents or grandparents to find. Maybe you went to a friend's house and you saw a toy there, or maybe you saw a commercial, and you now know of something you cannot live without, but you didn't know it existed even 30 seconds before that. And it captured your imagination, it captured your desires, and what did you do with that after that? You asked. And you asked, and you asked, and you asked. I cannot imagine that I was a very pleasant child to be around after I discovered one of those things I wanted for Christmas because I was irrepressible in asking for it, in begging for it. And I think what we want to see here with the Lord's Prayer is that if we don't know how good the King is and if we don't know how good the kingdom is, we won't ask for it. And so part of my hope and prayer these two weeks, last week and this week, is to give you a sense of how good the king is. That's what we talked about last week. That though we sought to be the rulers of our lives, to make our own choices, to make our own identities, to rule our own lives, there is a king who will fulfill us more than anything else and forgive us when we fail him. We want that king. We want his rule. And we can have it all by faith, not by what we do. My goal in prayer this week is to give us all, myself included, a greater sense of how good the kingdom is. 
Because if you don't know how good it is, you won't ask for it. And if we see how good it is, then we will beg and ask and ask and ask. And God says, I'm going to give it to you. You know you're going to get this gift. You know you're going to get to unwrap it. It's guaranteed. And so we know it's coming, we know it's good, so we can ask for it. So let's, let's take that and use it as fuel to spark our imaginations, be we Christian or not this morning, that there could be such a God who offers us such a great thing in his kingdom. So let's read his word this morning first from Matthew chapter six and then from Matthew chapter 13. But first, Matthew chapter six, we'll read verses nine and 10. Jesus says, pray then like this, our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. And then turn over with me please to Matthew chapter 13. We're gonna read four short parables that Jesus shares there. They all start with the phrase, the kingdom of heaven is like. If we're going to whet our appetite and increase our thirst for the kingdom, we need to hear these four short parables this morning. Matthew chapter 13, verse 31. Jesus put another parable before them saying, the kingdom of heaven is like a grain of mustard seed that a man took and sowed in his field. It's the smallest of all seeds, but when it has grown, it is larger than all the garden plants and becomes a tree so that the birds of the air come and make nests in its branches. Verse 33, he told them another parable. The kingdom of heaven is like. It's like leaven that a woman took and hid in three measures of flour till it was all leavened. And then skip down with me to verse 44. Jesus says the kingdom of heaven is like treasure hidden in a field which a man found and covered up. Then in his joy he goes and sells all that he has and he buys that field. Verse 45, fourth fourth. The fourth parable, Jesus says again, the kingdom of heaven is like a merchant in search of fine pearls, who on finding one pearl of great value went and sold all that he had and he bought it. Amen, this is God's word, let's pray. Father, again, we ask your help as we come to your word this morning that, that we might hear it, that I might preach it as an act of worship to you, that you might send us your spirit so that wherever we are, in our walk with you, in our understanding of you, that you might show us yourself and your grace in Jesus as a king and the kind of kingdom he asks us to be a part of. And we pray it in his name, amen. This morning I wanna look at two things with you. First, I wanna look at the surpassing value of the kingdom, and then second, I wanna look at the surprising value of the kingdom. So the surpassing and the surprising value of the kingdom. So first, the surpassing value of this kingdom. When we pray, your kingdom come, it is of surpassing value. And to take the last two parables first, look back with me at chapter 13, verse 44, there's this parable of the hidden treasure. Jesus tells us simply that a that yeah, he tells us simply that a man finds a treasure in a field. And he doesn't tell us the circumstances of how he found it. He doesn't tell us what kind of treasure. He gives us very little background and information. But he does tell us that the man found it, covered it back up, and then in his joy went and sold everything he had and he bought that field knowing that it was no risk whatsoever to give up everything he had to get 
this treasure. Now just a few things to help our modern ears hear this as Jesus' original group heard this. They didn't have banks, vaults, safe deposit boxes, but they did have over the centuries a fair number of wars and invasions and things like that, so what would they do with their valuables? Bury them. And they would leave them in a field, and then sometimes for different reasons, whatever it might be, they would not come back and get their treasure. They'd not come back and get their valuables. So they would be left. And this was a common enough occurrence in the day that there were laws and customs which governed what, what, what one was to do when they found a buried treasure. You and I, we, don't, we think of pirates, like this never happens. But it was common enough that they even had laws about it. And it was such that if you found it and left it in the ground you could buy the field. But if you took it out, then you had to tell that it was there. But you see, this isn't the point so much Jesus is trying to drive at as there's this incredible treasure. When we come to these parables of Jesus, usually the simplest way to understand it is the best. And before we really put the bottom line on what he means by that parable, let's look at the next one, the pearl of great price in verse 45. A very similar story. Instead of a man finding in a field treasure, we have a merchant who's out looking for fine pearls, which of course are worth something today, in Jesus' day even more so. And he finds one of great value sells everything he has, which sounds risky, but it's not, to get that pearl, and he buys that pearl. So with these two short stories, these little mini parables back to back, what's Jesus saying? He, they're both starting with the kingdom of heaven is like, and they're both about a man finding a treasure and giving everything he has to get it. Jesus isn't saying that we can buy the kingdom of God or that if we sell everything we have that we'll get it, he's making the point that it is that valuable. To give everything you have for it is not a risk. Jesus says the kingdom of heaven is that good. It is of surpassing value, and that joy will drive change and sacrifice in our lives when we find this thing. And there's all kinds of implications and applications to that, but it at least means we should pray for it to come. We should pray for this thing of surpassing value to come. But why is it so good? Why is it of surpassing value? Let's look secondly at the surprising value of the kingdom. And it's surprising in at least a couple ways, I'm sure more, but this morning I wanna share just two of them. It's surprising first in how full and comprehensive the kingdom is. The kingdom's value is surprising in how full and comprehensive it is. Go back with me to verse 33. The kingdom of heaven is like leaven that a woman took and hid in three measures of flour till it was all leavened. Jesus is saying the kingdom of heaven is like leaven or like yeast, which I don't bake much. My wife does. I'm around when it happens. From what I'm told, you can try to make bread without yeast, but you're going to get a wheat rock when you're finished. There's not going to be anything really good there to eat. And so the kingdom of heaven is like this yeast, and then he says that it goes into flour, three measures of flour. What does he, what, what does he mean by that? Well, a measure is over 13 liters of flour. So three measures, if my math is right, is about 50 pounds of flour. This is a lot of flour that could make, I'm told, enough bread for dozens, a hundred 
men and women, children, to eat. This is a large amount, but it's just a little bit of yeast that gets worked all the way through. It gets worked all the way through in a little bit. So the kingdom is of surprising value, Jesus is saying here, because even a small amount will infiltrate everything and will transform it. He's telling his followers this story at a time in this gospel when they were particularly discouraged. You know, they had thought Jesus was gonna come on the scene and bring this great political kingdom And then you get to chapters 11 and 12, and it's not so easy. People are resisting Jesus. This has not fit their paradigm. This has not fit their expectations. And Jesus says, just wait. A little bit of the kingdom will infiltrate and transform everything. Now's a good time to take a run at stopping and defining what Jesus means by the kingdom of God or the kingdom of heaven, as it's called here. When we're praying for the kingdom of God to come, what are we praying for? What comes to your mind when I say the kingdom of God, pray for the kingdom of God? Maybe you think of people coming to faith in Jesus, repenting of their sins and becoming converted, right? Maybe you think of spiritual growth and sanctification and people being discipled and learning how to obey and live their Christian life. Maybe you think of the growth of the church here or around our region or around the world. Is that what you think of when you think of the kingdom of God? Is that what you pray for when you pray for it to come? Well, I would say the kingdom is certainly not less than those things, but I would put before you this morning that the kingdom is yet even greater than how good those things are. And how do I know? Because Jesus here in the Gospels, as he walked on this earth 2,000 years ago, was a returning king. He was a king who had created this world to be good, and it had gone into rebellion against him, every single part of it. He had made the world, he had made us as spiritual and physical beings. And when we fell, we went into rebellion, and the whole world broke. And so my question is, when Jesus, the returning king, comes, do you think he's going to take less this time around than he had before? Absolutely not. He will not stand to take back less than he lost. And he's here, I would say, to even make it greater and better than it was before the fall came. When Jesus comes as a returning king, he is coming to bring his rule and his reign to every place of brokenness that we have created. He's here to redeem the whole thing, not just our spiritual lives, but our physical lives, our work, our everything, our relationships. That's why so often in the Gospels when it says Jesus proclaimed the kingdom of God, what it often says right after that, and healing every kind of disease and affliction. He didn't just come saying good news, he came doing good things as well and healing a broken world and showing what that looked like just briefly and in one particular great way by healing afflictions and diseases. Jesus is coming to put his rule and his lordship everywhere where it used to be and will be again in the future. Maybe I can best explain this to you by walking you through quickly the four big eras of history. And not just history in the Bible, but history. You wanna get a quick history test with me this morning, a quick history degree? History's in four words. The first word is creation. God made the world and everything in it. And he made men and women to rule over it as his vice regents. And he said, everything is good. 
He created it to rule over it and then he put us here to have a relationship with him, to have a relationship with each other and to have a relationship with this creation that he made such that we were to care for it and cultivate it and bring out all of the amazing things that he had built into it. So there would have been relationships and family and government and arts and education and environmental management and culture and building and innovation and technology all under God's rule and authority. It would have been perfect the perfect human existence. And yet the second word we come to after creation is the fall. Adam and Eve, the first two of us, chose not to accept and live under God's rule as king, but they said we will be king. And instead of ruling themselves, they became ruled. They became ruled by Satan, they became ruled by sin, they became ruled by self, and nothing worked, everything broke. Their relationship with God broke, yes. Spiritually, they were broken and dead. And their relationships with each other broke. You only have to look at their children or even how they blame shifted with each other there in the garden. And of course, their relationship with the creation broke as well. Now the creation works against us and there's thorns as we try to cultivate it and we bring our own evil bent and desires to it as we do. And so everything that would have come from how we were supposed to live broke. Relationships, family, government, arts, education, environmental management, culture, innovation, technology, all these things now are part of the curse. All these things now live in rebellion against God and his authority. And yes, that's why there is sickness and poverty and death. Those things come as a result of that second big word, the fall. Were things as bad as they could be? No, by God's grace they weren't. But was everything cursed? Yes, everything fell. So then we come to the third big word, the big era of redemption, which you and I are living in right now. Jesus the King has returned. He has set foot here once on earth. He will come back once more to bring his rule and reign back to everything where it used to be, back to every place where the curse has gone. What's the old hymn that we sing at Christmas? Joy to the world. He comes to make his blessings known as far as the curse is found. He will not stop until he makes his blessings known as far as the curse is found. And yes, that's in our relationship with him and that's absolutely critical that people know the truth of the gospel, that they can by faith be reconciled with God. And then through that faith, they can live out in obedience to him and see change in their relationships with one another. And then all the parts of creation that you and I were supposed to live out in, all those things that we said, family, government, arts, education, environmental management, culture, building, innovation, technology, on and on and on, we can now see his rule and lordship begin to be extended back into all of those things as we work to help the poor, as we work against disease and illness. And of course then, we can come to the last one, the last big era, the fourth big word, consummation. One day the king will return and it will be finished. We live in an in-between time where the kingdom has already come and we're still waiting, we're still longing. We're saying, Jesus, bring your kingdom. We beg you, we ask you, may your will be done on earth as it is in heaven because we look around and we see the brokenness, we see the poverty, we see the pain, we see the death. We see all those ways that human society doesn't work like it's supposed to. But one day, Jesus says, he is going to return and our relationship with him will be perfect for him and his church. Our relationships with each other will no longer be full of selfishness and betrayal and hurt. 
Our relationship with creation will be perfect and we'll be able to live out that commandment that he gave us to develop it in a way such that every part of human endeavor in life is an expression of God's kingdom and lordship. It's his will being done in all of those areas where humans go, in the arts and music and all those other things that we said. No more poverty and of course the best part will be no more death. Even as we prayed this morning for members of our church family and those in our area who have lost loved ones, it makes us yearn and long and beg God for his kingdom to come. Kingdoms are all about a king with authority over his realm. And so when we pray, your kingdom come, your will be done, we're saying, God, extend your rule and your reign in my heart, in my obedience and walk with you as we talked about last week, but then in all of my relationships, all of creation, everywhere. And now we're waiting in this, like we said, this in-between time. What do we do? Well, we pray for his kingdom to come by praying for a restoration of our loved one's relationship with God if they don't know him, for our neighbors. We work for and care about not just their spiritual healing, but their physical healing. We do ministry in word and in deed. We pray for and we work for the poor and the excluded and the marginalized, everyone whom Jesus was concerned about and even became one of We pray for the comfort of the hurting and the lonely and the grieving. And we pray for and work for to see the curse of the fall reversed as far as it has gone in every area of life and culture. The church proclaiming the truth of God, equipping its people, discipling them to go out into all of these works, all of these endeavors, all of these areas of life and to see God's rule and reign come back to where it was supposed to be. So as we come up against some brokenness in life, anything from someone who doesn't know the Lord to a hard situation at work to a problem in society to whatever it might be, how do we pray? God, what would this look like if your rule and reign were fully realized? If sin and brokenness were not part of this thing, that's how we can begin to get an imagination to jump off from this prayer request and to pray, God, your kingdom come, your will be done. I wanna slow down and apply this for just a few more moments to one particular area of life, to everyday work, to everyday jobs. The kingdom of God is about all of life, as we said, for stay-at-home mom, for retirees, for those still in school, but yet for those of us who go out every day to work, how might this apply, how might this work? Many think unless you're a pastor or a campus minister or a missionary, then all you can do is go out and make enough money to give to those like pastors and missionaries and campus ministers who are gonna go out and extend the kingdom of God. And your job every day is only as good as being able to make enough money to give and then to pray for those who are engaged in kingdom work. Whereas the average Joe, not so much engaged in kingdom work. But I wonder if that's true because practically any job can be a part of bringing human flourishing, goodness, healing to some part of creation. I had a friend when I was in seminary, it was our first year together, we were in a class, we were talking about these very things, about how any profession and vocation can be a part of reversing the effects of the fall, bringing God's rule and reign and will to bear on all these different areas. And I had heard them before, I needed to hear it again, but it wasn't surprising me or shocking me. But I had a friend and he 
you could just see it on his face. He was struggling and he was like, wait. And he's raising his hand and he's asking questions and it was like the gears were grinding and he just couldn't let off the clutch and get going. It was something brand new to him because he had been a part of a ministry which was a wonderful, biblical, faithful ministry, but it had emphasized, if not outright told him, oh, you love Jesus, and he did. You should be in full-time ministry. But what he really wanted to do was be an accountant. He loved everything about accounting. But he thought, well, if I love Jesus, I can't be an accountant. Accountants can't love Jesus. <laughs> but he's sitting there, and it's this new idea, and he's like, wait a minute. I can be an accountant and love Jesus? I can do it to the glory of God in an excellent way? I can be a part of helping an organization or many organizations keep track of their resources to be deployed in the best way possible for the sake of their customers and their employees? That's part of the key. He quit seminary that semester. It was the best movie ever made. <laughs> because he followed God's call. He followed the way he was made and his interests. And he said, I'm going to go and bring God's kingdom and lordship to this area of life. And it's wonderful because you can love God and do so many things, be called into so many parts of kingdom work. We could give so many more examples. Of course, it's easy to see how those of you involved in healthcare are part of reversing the effects of the fall. Or you could say those in construction, making a safe and warm place for people to live. Wonderful, that's part of reversing the effects of the fall. Those of us in education, another easy one to see. What about selling insurance? Can that be part of reversing the effects of the fall? Well, we live in a world with violent weather, accidents, fire. Can you imagine what it would be like if we didn't have some way to mitigate that risk? And insurance helping us rebuild and restore what was lost? Yes, absolutely that's reversing. In some way, the uh, way the fall has taken root. I had a friend who worked in IT for an energy company. And he said, man, when we're looking at new systems and processes, I try to remember we're providing power for the NICU. We're providing power for a kid to do his homework at night, for families to have a meal together. And he's imagining all these wonderful things that are part of God's original good design or pushing back against the brokenness as part of what he was doing. So we could go on, we could talk about trashmen and laborers and bankers and artists and musicians and those in food production and distribution. So many things where we get to be a part of what God does and saying, this fall shall not stand, I shall bring my blessing as far as the curse is found. Now I'm not saying that anything done in the name of any of these examples is the kingdom of God. I'm not saying the kingdom will be fully realized this side of Christ's return and I'm not saying your work won't be cursed until his return, it will. Work will always be hard. There will always be thorns and thistles, as the book of Genesis talks about. But what I am saying is that God cares about all of creation. He cares about all of humanity and its culture and its society and every legitimate human endeavor. I'm saying if you want to be a part of something that cares about all of life, then that's Christianity, the Christianity of the Bible. It cares about everything. It cares about seeing Blessing come wherever there is brokenness. I'm saying there is no split between the secular and the sacred. Everything is sacred. Everything is under God's rule and reign and kingship. And that's why Martin Luther said this, the works of monks and priests, however holy and arduous they may be, do not differ one whit in the sight of God from the works of the rustic laborer in the field or the woman going about her household tasks. All works are measured before God by faith alone. So if you're struggling this morning with how your job matters, 
And all of us can at times, whether you're in full-time ministry or whatever other job it might be. We have to remember who we work for because who you work for will change how you work. You don't just work for your boss or your company. You work for the king, the king who fulfills us and forgives us when we fail him. We don't work for salary or power or influence. We work for a king. And remember that your work is part of a great cause. Sometimes that cause is hidden. Sometimes that cause seems like it's losing. Sometimes it seems like there's no way that can possibly win. But Jesus says just a little bit of yeast will infiltrate and transform everything in surprising ways. For those of you in college, wherever you might be in the sanctuary this morning, wondering about your future career and how it might matter, these things affect those kinds of decisions as well. Looking for ways to use, like my friend in seminary, your interests and abilities for the sake of building something worthwhile that brings value and solves problems and pushes back on impacts and effects of the fall. Whether that's a leadership executive role or a background role, they all matter. And of course, as we go forward over the years together, we'll talk too about how this impacts stay-at-home moms and retirees in every part of life from the extraordinary, amazing stories we hear of God at work in the world to even the most ordinary because whether you're doing cutting edge biomedical research or you're wiping your toddler's nose, you're pushing back the effects of the fall, all those areas of brokenness, you're working to see the kingdom come in extraordinary and ordinary ways. We said we're going through this series first to learn how to pray. And hopefully now you have more vistas from which to imagine praying for God's kingdom to come for his will to be done, praying for this church, your lost neighbor, your family, your kids, for all parts of creation and society, praying with us, I hope, each week as we send out those prayer notifications on our app. You can download that and make sure the settings are on. And Monday, Wednesday, and Friday mornings, we can all pray together or pick up a piece of paper at the info booth in the lobby. We also said we're going through this series so that as we get started together, we begin to see what does Jesus care about? If he only gives us 50 words on how to pray, I think each, each, of these, each of these requests and petitions he gives us are near and dear to his heart. So we wanna be the kind of church that says prayer is important and vital. We wanna be a kind of church that says you can be reconciled with God such that he can be your father and helping Christians live out of the joy and freedom of knowing the grace and goodness of God as father and king. We want to be a kind of church that prays, hallowed be your name, God. We take you seriously. We take your truth seriously. When you say something, we listen. And that might lead us to reverence. It might lead us to worship. It might lead us to joy, to comfort, to new obedience. But his name be hallowed in all that we do. In a church that cares about seeing God's kingdom advance so that we are sending out pastors and missionaries to proclaim God's truth, but we're also sending out all of those jobs we mentioned into all of those parts of creation that we mentioned and seeing his kingdom go out and reverse the effects of the fall. So lastly, as we close, we just want to say this. I want to mention that one last parable. Okay, everybody. The effects of the fall. <laughs> Creation works against us. There's a flash flood warning. <laughs> I can't ignore it. You're all looking at it. And God's timing, there you go. Okay. When we close in a moment, we're going to pray for the flash flood. I grew up in Greenville. I've been in Colorado 18 years, and I'm just so glad it's raining. Uh, didn't rain for 18 years in Colorado. <laughs> 
and now it's raining. But we don't like flash floods. Even the creation is broken. Rain is a good thing, but can bring destruction as well. But we want to pray and not give up. I didn't mention that last parable about the mustard seed growing in to the tallest tree, the smallest seed to the tallest. You might say, the kingdom's never going to come. It's never going to come in my life, my family's life. It's never going to come in my profession, my work. It's never going to come. And Jesus says, it's going to come in surprising ways. Even though it starts small, it's guaranteed to win. And we, by God's grace, get to be a part of it. And how do we know it's going to win? Because of not just the crucifixion, but the resurrection. When Jesus rose to new life, when his heart began beating and his lungs expanded and his eyes opened, he said, I have come to make my blessings known as far as this curse is found, spiritually in their relationship with God and even physically in their humanity and to every other part. If the resurrection is true, then everything is going to work. The kingdom will come. So let's beg God for it. Let's pray. Father, we do live in a broken and fallen world and it makes us long for your kingdom to come, for your justice to be known, for there to be mercy for the hurting, for there to be grace for the sinner. Father, we're grateful to you this morning that we can be used as a part of that. We thank you for how you've used this church over the years to send out all of those people into all those walks of life that we said. And Lord, we pray for more. Then in years to come, we could look back and say, thank you, Jesus, that we got to be a part of sending men and women out to be a part of your great cause, one that we thank you is guaranteed. Lord, we do live in a broken world, so if there are any dangers from flash flooding this morning, we pray that you would protect life and property. Father, we ask that you would use us as your hands and feet in this, in this city, in this area, in this region. Teach us to pray, Lord. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen.